Good morning. Today's reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 47 to 53. While he was speaking, still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs every day? I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Wilma. Steve, can you just turn those lights down a little bit? Am I, like, radiant this morning? Sure feels like it. I can hardly, hardly see anyone, um, the glare in my, my eyes. Um, that's one of the challenges of preaching. You know, another one of the challenges of preaching is, is finding good illustrations. And uh, I, I like to use my own life events. My, my life isn't always that exciting, but I think sometimes things happen, then they just relate to spiritual principles. But the challenge with that is sometimes having to ask other family members for permission to tell a particular story. Um, I've kind of made an agreement that I would never tell a story uh, that they would be unprepared. And, uh, and then when I ask for permission and I don't get it, I go ahead and tell the story anyway, and then ask for forgiveness uh, later. Um, but one of the the other piece to that that I, that I honestly struggle with a little bit is, you know, you don't always want to hear stories about me. Uh, you know, a little less of me, a little more of Jesus would probably be a good balance. Um, it's like, you know, the Jesus I long to know, not the Norb I wish I knew. Um, so uh, there's that too. But I do share, uh, as you know, some events and details of my life here and there. And then often you're left kind of putting these bits and pieces together and you're not really sure how they all fit together. And so um, uh, let's play a little game, shall we? This is the interactive part. The rest of it, you need to just sit and listen. Um, But uh, this part, I'm going to ask you a couple questions and just see how much you actually know about me. So um, if you know the answer, just shout it out. Okay, where was I born and raised? Edmonton, that's right. Um, Where did I go to school? Yeah, I heard it somewhere back there. Who said that? Raise your hand. Yeah, you knew. How did you know that? Okay. What about what about university? Oh, I gave it away there. U of A. Anybody know a seminary? Taylor, Taylor right? Okay. Um, what are some of the cities or towns that I've served churches in? Calgary and Armprior. Hey, that was quick. There's some people that that uh, have way too much information. Um, <laughs> where where's Tina from? Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. Um, where did we meet? Chicago. Yeah, somebody even knew that. Um, and, and, and so you're obviously wondering, how does a, a guy from Edmonton who's living in Calgary meet a girl from Cleveland in Chicago? 
Right? Is that, are you asking that question? What's that? <laughs> Online dating? Wait a second. Now you're going to, like, seriously, guys, this is before the internet. <laughs> Tina would write a letter and fax it to me. Um, all that wonderful technology. But um, so, uh, yeah, we did. We did meet in Chicago. We had a, a 13-month long-distance relationship. And then we actually got married in Cleveland. But that just about didn't happen. And... Uh, it was, uh, we got married on September 3rd, 1994, so do the math. We're going to celebrate our 25th anniversary this, uh, this fall. And um, so we, I arrived there about a week before, and we're taking care of all the details that you normally would take care of and sort of those last-minute things, and we go to get a marriage license. And so we go into this local county office, and the conversation goes a little bit like this. You know, you just kind of stand in line, you get to the front, how can I help you? It's like, yeah, we're here to get a marriage license. And it's like, okay, well, you need to fill out this form, and you need a social security number. And I'm like, um, I'm from Canada, I don't have a social security number. I have a social insurance number, does that work? Uh, nope, sorry, then I guess you can't get married. Next. And I was like, well, excuse me, how, how do I then get a social security number? And she says, well, you can't get one. You're not American. Next. Our wedding is this Saturday. Next. You need a certain form. Well, where do I get this form? At the border. I go, I, I've crossed into the U.S. many times. I've never seen this form you're talking about. They've never offered it to me. Well, then go back, get across the border, come back, and ask for the form. I'm like, we're getting married on Saturday. By this time, you can imagine I'm feeling totally exasperated, feeling like this lady could care less about us. All she wanted us to do was kind of push us aside, move on from us, and serve the next person in line. Is even somewhat humiliated because this conversation, as you can imagine, is loud enough that everyone behind us is hearing what's going on, and they too are thinking, okay, just move along, buddy. You've got your answer. There's other people in line. Come on, we need to get on with it. But I still remember the, kind of just the hurt and, and the offense that I felt the way we were treated. How many of you have felt that way in church? As I talk with people who don't attend church, I consistently seem to hear things like, they're all hypocrites, and they all pretend to be something that they're not. They'll say things like, you're a pastor? A Christian pastor? Is there any other kind? But you seem so normal. At least that's, they just got to know me, so they, they thought that. Why do they ask that question? You see, the implication is that most of their experiences with followers of Christ have led them to conclude that we're all maybe a little bit weird, maybe even a little bit obnoxious, and sometimes rude, like the lady at the marriage license office. What have we done in the name of God to cause people to feel so negatively towards us? I grew up in the church, and honestly, when I think back to my journey and after some of the experiences with the church, I'm totally amazed that I still love the church the way that I do. 
early teen experiences. There's a German church, fights over whether or not youth should be in German or English, about the color of the wall behind the choir pews, and, uh, oh yeah, whether or not we should allow a, a ping-pong table in the basement for the youth to play on. Young adult attending a church here in Edmonton, church that went through a church split where former board members took the church to court over something that they had done, and they lost, and 300 people walked out of the church. As a pastor, I've had significant challenges myself in ministry. Um, Between serving at a church in Arnprior to coming here at TCC, I served with a ministry called Metanoia Ministries that served churches in conflict. That's fun to hear. So this morning, as we continue to prepare our hearts for Easter, I want to take you to an event in the life of Jesus and introduce you, perhaps reintroduce you, to the healer of wounds. Now, these wounds aren't physical. They're emotional and they're spiritual. And the truth of the matter is that that many have been hurt by the church. I believe that many, in fact, probably way more than we ever imagined, have had some experience with the church in the past, and it's not always been positive. I've discovered that what has happened for many is that a relationship with um, people in the church, many people have just walked away. They've turned their backs and unfortunately have turned their backs on God as well as the church. Over the years here at TCC, I believe it's just by God's grace, He has used TCC to be a safe place for people, to come and sit, to be healed and to be restored, to find their legs in ministry again, to be able to wrestle with questions, maybe to experience a second chance themselves. And I don't pretend that there are easy answers or that I have all the answers or that I'm an authority on this in any way. But this morning, I hope to shed some insight into this problem and share a few words um, to those who have been hurt by religion or hurt by the church, but who still have an interest in God. I don't know if you've ever seen the Jesus film. There is a scene in the Jesus film that Wilma read for us uh, from the Gospel of Luke this morning. And it's the scene where Peter, one of Jesus' followers, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And then Jesus healing him. It's a miracle we probably don't hear many sermons about. Jesus picking up the pieces that his own followers had cut off. Healing wounds that his closest disciples were causing, thinking they were doing him a favor. Jesus bringing healing to those who were wounded by the ones who followed him. My prayer is that as we continue to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, that we would long to know this Jesus. And then we would walk in relationship with him in the company of others and then share Jesus with the people that God puts in our pathway. So just three comments to make that I hope this morning might heal some wounds. And so comment number one is this. Let's take the halo off the church. Let's take the halo off the church. Remove the halo. Once and for all, let's just publicly remove the halo that has been incorrectly placed on the church. It doesn't belong there. It never has. I'm talking about expectations versus reality. 
You see, as a pastor, I often hear people speak about the church as it's this nebulous organization that's supposed to be perfect, and it isn't. And then people become disappointed and disillusioned when it isn't. It's the same thing that can happen in, in, in marriages. People with marriage problems, they come in and they speak about the challenges of, they, or sorry, they don't speak about the challenges of, of love and commitment and their feelings towards another person, but they often speak about the relationship as if it's sort of some external thing out there. You see, the church is people. The church is you and me. So we're not talking about some abstract thing out there. We're, we're talking about real people with real problems, with weaknesses, with imperfections. That's the church. And there is no place for a halo. Because wherever you have imperfect people, you have an imperfect church. In Luke chapter 22, this may be one of the most tragic chapters in in the life of Peter. Peter, by the way, is the one who did the sword swinging. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me, but, but just catch the context for a moment. In, in Luke chapter 22, uh, very early in the beginning of the chapter, it's Jesus sharing the Last Supper with his followers. And in that context of talking to them, he makes some strange predictions about some of the tough times that are going to follow. And particularly, he says, he talks about Peter and how Peter is going to respond and handle those tough times. And so then in verse 33, Peter declares his commitment to follow Jesus. And he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter meant well. So let's not be too hard on him. As I've said before about Peter, including last week, he's not all that different than you and I. Oftentimes, we're quick to declare our commitment and we make our new promises and then we fall back on them again, and again, and again. So Peter was declaring his love and commitment to Jesus. And Jesus was saying that there were going to be tough times and that everybody was going to desert him. And Peter says, no, Lord, there's no way. I'm I'm your friend. I'm going to go to jail. I'll go to jail if that's what it means. If it means dying, I'll die. I'm going to be with you, Jesus. And so this is the promise, the declaration that Peter makes. And then come his failures. The first test. Jesus goes into the garden to pray, and along with him come the disciples, and he asks them to stay awake and to pray along with him. But their eyes grow heavy, and all of them, including Peter, who had just made this great declaration of his love and his commitment to to stand with Jesus, He can't even manage to stay awake, and he falls asleep. Mark's gospel tells us that it happened three times. So Jesus goes off to pray, he comes back, he wakes them up, he goes off to pray, etc., etc., etc. And even though Peter gave his commitment, and this night it just wasn't happening. And then verse 47, this is where Wilma started reading. We have the scene of a crowd coming, the soldiers coming, Judas the betrayer, and Peter, and the disciples are there. And recognizing that maybe at this point already, he hasn't done very well with his claim of following Jesus, he swings into action, quite literally, actually. 
Luke is actually very gracious. He, he doesn't actually name Peter, but the Gospel of John tells us exactly who he was. In fact, John also tells us the name of the servant's, uh, servant who had his ear cut off, Malchus. So this is very personal. It's real people in a real place. This is really happening. And Jesus intervenes and he heals Malchus. But in doing so, he also commands Peter to stop. He says, listen, Peter, you've got it all wrong. Put that thing away. That's not how we're going to deal with this. No more of this. I love that. It's like this emphasis that he just adds on the end. No more of this. Now we get Peter failure number two. He falls asleep first. He cuts off the ear. And then, beginning in verse 54, and this is wasn't read for you, but we have the account there where Peter became so afraid for his own life that when he was questioned, he denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was. And if you follow the gospel, you know that, that Jesus actually predicted exactly that Peter would do this. Peter said, no way, I'm standing with you. Only to fall, not all that long after. I mean, you want to talk about a terrible chapter in someone's life, here it is. If you still have your Bibles open, you look down to verse 22, or sorry, 62 in, verse, in chapter 22. Scripture says that he went outside and wept bitterly. In fact, there's another element there that is quite interesting. So they took Jesus away out of the garden. They had arrested him. They took him to the, to the home of the high priest, Caiaphas, and, 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 and Peter follows him but kind of keeps his distance, and he ends up in the courtyard of this house. And it says there that Jesus looked at him right in the eye. Can you imagine that? Without saying a word, Peter, knowing who Jesus was, I suspect that all of his bold declarations came flying back to him in light of his just recent failures. And he broke. And he acknowledged at that time his own sin and his own failures and his own weaknesses. So that's the context of somebody's ear getting cut off. Can I just say this to all who have been hurt by the church? I want you to recognize so clear today, I mean, please see this, hear this, that just as was, was, the, was the case with Peter, those times in the church when you have been hurt instead of helped, those times when you've come looking for help and we've simply said, next, they've come out of our own failures, our own weaknesses and our own sins. They've not come because we've been the church that we're supposed to be. They've come out of our weaknesses. And unfortunately, the human tendency is to to try to make up for our failures. And so the next opportunity comes along, and with great boldness, we're going to be the defender of God. And we'll take it out on anybody who comes and gets in our way. And when it comes from our own failures and our own inability to stay, uh, our own inability to stay awake with Jesus, 
and to fulfill our commitment to him. And so we might start chopping at everyone else around and all the weaknesses we see in them. So our hurtful times as the church have come out of our own sin and our own failure, not because we've been acting the way the church is supposed to do. And so I ask two questions today. To those who have been hurt by the church, you have often expressed that that hurt has come because those of us in the church haven't always been forgiving of your errors. You've messed up. You, you know you've messed up. And you've come to the church. You admit your sin. You admit your mistakes. And you came looking for some compassion and some grace and some forgiveness. Instead, you've heard us say, next. I'm sorry if that's been your experience. But my question to you is this. Even though we haven't always been particularly gracious and forgiving, can you take the lead? Because when we've done that to you, we've been wrong. That's come out of our own sin and our failure, as I said. But can you take the lead and can you extend the forgiveness that you wanted us to extend to you and just take the lead? Now, that's not to diminish at all that some have been victims of terrible sins against you. And, and it's painful and it's hurtful. But forgiveness will free you. Forgiveness will release you. So think about the forgiveness that we long to receive. Every one of us longs to be forgiven. And we extend that to others then as well. Secondly then, to those of us within the church who, like Peter, have failed and have been hurtful, is it possible that instead of swinging the sword as Peter did at first, God could do a lot more with us if we were like Peter, down on our knees, weeping over our own sin. Instead of swinging the sword at someone else, if if we could deal with the log in our own eye first before we would look at the speck in somebody else's eye. But Jesus said, you see, I, I think it's possible that if even these two suggestions were followed, that there would be a lot of people restored to the church today. And much more important than that, that there would be a lot of people restored to a right relationship with God. You see, if we were just able to admit our own failures, that we were gracious to others, instead of taking off the gloves and fighting, let's just take off the halos and live as real people who love God, forgiving and accepting each other. And as as I'm speaking about this, I I, I feel like I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer here, and I'm struggling with it, and it's been in the back of my mind. When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about kind of the global church. Okay? I'm not talking about necessarily about TCC, but the principle holds true. Right? That if we've been hurt, we offer forgiveness. But we recognize our own brokenness in this, and that we are willing to live Um, in a place where we admit and forgive and accept one another. And so let's take the halo off the church, okay? Let's be real and admit our weaknesses, seek forgiveness where forgiveness is needed, and just be real and authentic people before God. That's all it is. That's, That's, I believe, is the first thing that needs to happen for wounds of church or wounds of hurt to be healed, okay? That we would acknowledge that the church is to be the most loving and forgiving 
community ever. <laughs> okay? So take the hills off the church. Number two observation. I'm going to just say this. Don't reject the medicine just because the nurse was rude. Don't turn your back on a relationship with Jesus just because you've had a bad experience with the church. Don't reject the medicine just because the nurse was rude. Look back at Luke verses 15 and 51. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. We now know that that was Peter. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. You know what the human tendency would be? After one of Jesus' disciples had taken out his sword and performed a little surgery. Right? A follower of Jesus cuts off your ear, and then Jesus steps forward. You know what I think most people would probably do? You'd pick up that ear, and you would run as fast as you can. Because if his followers did that, what might he do to me? Except for two things. Malchus was missing an ear, and Jesus had a reputation for what? Healing. And so, in spite of the fact that as a, a follower of Christ, uh, that a follower of Christ had wounded him, he hung in there just long enough to receive that touch of Jesus because he so desperately needed it. Now, if you haven't been there lately, maybe you've forgotten just how close to the edge life can sometimes take you where you are willing to try anything. When you become so desperate that you will hang in there even after you've been wounded. And at that point, you are open to a touch. And so if you need a healing hand of Jesus in your life today, don't turn your back on him just because you've had some bad experiences in the church. If you're on the edge, stick around for the healing touch of Jesus. Eleven years ago, um, not quite, but about ten and a half years ago, it was a Sunday that I remember exceptionally well, maybe because I've told the story over and over and over again. But I had these incredibly strange, unusual to me, physical symptoms. I was beyond thirsty. I had an insatiable thirst. My mouth was incredibly dry. I could hardly speak because my, my tongue was sticking to the roof of my mouth, much like it has been already today. And uh, I spoke with my sister, and she says, Norba, I don't want to scare you, but that, that sounds like symptoms of diabetes. And so I did what every self-respecting person does, and I got on the Internet, and I Googled these symptoms, and... Um, and self-diagnosed myself with diabetes. It was legit. I mean, I went to the Mayo Clinic, and if you can appreciate the Mayo Clinic, you can accept that this was pretty legit. And so I hit this one button, and it takes me to the next page, and there's a list of like eight uh, symptoms of diabetes, and I'm just checking off every single one of them. My heart just sank. It's about 11 o'clock at night. Tina's in bed sleeping. I go to bed, and I'm praying. I'm like, what, do I, what am I going to do? I've got diabetes. I know it. I had lost 11 pounds in two weeks. It was another one of the symptoms. So I go to emergency early in the morning. They, within a half hour, basically says what I already knew was true, and uh, admit me, 
Um, I get treated with insulin because my blood sugar was sky high. And, uh, you know, I remember this nurse practitioner coming in with a manila envelope just full of all these brochures about all the horrible consequences of diabetes, long-term consequences. And I'm reading through this stuff, and I'm just getting sick. Like, seriously? This is my lot in life, and I'm down. I've, I could just feel it. Discouraged. Later that night, a, a nurse comes in with a needle. And she says, here you go. I'm like, I haven't even been here 24 hours. Don't I at least get care for 24 hours? And she looks at me and she says, you better do it. Get used to it. You're going to do it for the rest of your life. And at that moment, I didn't actually need to hear it that way. She was rude. And I could have immediately said, you know what? Forget it, because you have been so rude to me, I'm not going to take it. Dumb choice, right? I needed the medicine. It didn't really matter whether or not the nurse was rude or not. You know, unfortunately, I think that's what's happened in the church through the years. The church as a whole, I don't think, often has a great reputation for, for caring for people in need. And said, in, in fact, some people come with legitimate needs, and we say rude things. And we look beyond them, and we say, next. <clears throat> you see, I grew up uh, knowing the seven deadly sins. Not the usual list, but drinking, dancing, smoking, swearing, movies, Sunday sports, and cards. Some of you probably knew the same list. Maybe you still do. And I'm not saying that those rules weren't good for us, because I think some of them actually were. But they weren't always appropriately applied. And people were coming, needing a touch from Jesus, and needing some grace and compassion. And they would come to the church, and instead of meeting Jesus, they'd get all these rules thrown at them and that generation, I think, left by the thousands. And many have never returned. And many have painful stories to tell about that. But here's the point. Since the church has often done such a poor job of responding to the needs of people through the years, why is it that the church is still the most dynamic, the most active, it's the largest group of people in the world who believe the same things? Is it just possible that that, that it's because we have the privilege of dispensing the medicine of life. The stuff that our world needs. The stuff that we need. You see, the church has what we need. Because is it possible that God has entrusted to us the message of bringing people into that life-changing relationship with himself that they are so desperately longing for that people will hang in there in spite of some of the bad things that have happened. Because they need the medicine that we have to offer. And so while we need to deal with our mistakes, and we need to be gracious, and we need to be loving, and we need to improve the way that we respond to people, but to those who, you, who have been hurt by the church, I plead with you, don't turn your back on the message, because the messenger has sometimes been rude. I gave you a heads up about the theme of this message last week, and 
I had somebody email me and said, hey, I'd like to maybe invite some friends. And, and this has happened numerous times in these conversations this week. And I've just seen this over and over again. And maybe you're here this morning because you've been invited by a friend and, and, and they didn't know the full details of the message, but you're hearing this now and you're going, you know what? My friend's concerned about me because maybe I'm on the edge. Maybe I'm trying to decide something that I'm not really sure where I'm going to go. Can I just say again, hang in there. Find the word that God has for you. Don't just see the flaws and the problems in the church because the church has what you need. The church knows Jesus. The church does know grace. The church has a message. It can be life-changing. And when you walk that out in the company of others and live that out in, in, in authentic community, you know that that's true. So don't reject the medicine just because the nurse was rude. And lastly, God's grace is for both the imperfect church and for those who have been hurt by the church. You see, that's the beauty of the message that we share. Jesus answered, no more of this, Peter. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. To the one who had been wounded, the healing touch. Think of the irony of that. This man had come to arrest Jesus. And it didn't matter to Jesus. He healed him anyway. And then if you continue to read the gospel accounts and you come to the end of John's gospel and you read a beautiful story there where they have been eating together, Jesus goes and seeks out Peter, Peter who couldn't stay awake, Peter who cut off the servant's ear, Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus at one point. And Jesus brings Peter aside and he says, Peter, we need to have a little talk. And there he beautifully healed and restored Peter as well. You can read it for yourself, John chapter 21. You see, and only God can pull it off so that His grace is sufficient both for those who have been wounded by the church and for those who have done the wounding on the inside. And we all need the same grace and medicine. And God so freely dispenses it. Friends, I regularly have to examine my attitude, acknowledge my sin, and ask for forgiveness and God's grace. We all need God's grace in the church and outside the church. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we're perfect, but when we've messed up, messed up, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God poured out his love for us. And so if you've been hurt by the church, or if you're hurting inside the church, I know that we're not perfect, but I do extend this to you. God's love is perfect. And we, acknowledging our own sinfulness, will, through His grace, try to do a better job of sharing His love. We're going to gather around the communion table this morning. And the worship team's going to come, and they'll, they'll lead us in some singing, but you don't need to, to sing along at all. I'm going to ask you just to take some time and pray, examine yourselves, and let me put a couple of things uh, up on the screen here for you just to think about, 
And then, Steve, maybe just leave this slide up during communion so that people can refer to it there. But, but when we talk about our mission statement of knowing Jesus, walking Jesus, and sharing Jesus, what do we, what did we, know, what do we now know about Jesus? Well, we should know about his love and about his grace and about forgiveness. You see, this is the Jesus that we long to know, isn't it? The Jesus in this story. The Jesus who heals wounds. The, the Jesus who offers grace and forgiveness. And so do you long to know him? Ask him to reveal himself to you this morning. And as you walk with Jesus, perhaps there is someone that you need to forgive. This, just hearing this, story, this, this message this morning, it maybe brought up some, some painful memories in an event or a situation that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. It was another church, another city, another community. But you can still feel the wounds. You feel the hurt. Maybe during this time of communion, you can just forgive that person or persons. But maybe also... You, you need to um, ask for forgiveness yourself. Maybe there's someone that you realize, man, I, I did that. That was a long time ago. And so maybe your homework this week is to track that person down, get together for coffee and just say, you know, that thing that happened so many years ago, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's walking out the reality of what we know about Jesus. He offers forgiveness and grace freely to us. We know that about him. And so then we extend that love and grace to others as well. And about sharing Jesus. Friends, we have the medicine. We know how this ends. We know about the, the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We are dispensers of that. That's what we've been given as a mission to take and tell people about. And so as you're just thinking through this 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 morning, I I pray that God would just reveal to you some ways that you can apply this in the context of knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And so I'm going to invite, again, the worship team to come. Servers, come. We're going to move right into gathering around the table here.